0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito
1: We get live right
0: now, man. It's going down, sided for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win.
1: I mean, you know, we had a couple of minutes
0: Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good, because you don't ever want to get swept.
1: I'm indifferent to him whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting the work for the next five years.
0: If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five, I I'd put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six, you can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven? championship or bust i don't think they're going to win the whole series but there is no enjoyment with this team hello and welcome to episode 96 of the brew hoop podcast after taking a week off because we just didn't feel like recording uh i am kyle carr one of the contributors for brew hoop.com uh adam R. prayers is not here he decided to take a vacation really convenient timing at him. Just perfect timing because no one, he did deserve after watching media regular season basketball for weeks on it. But I do have Riley Feldman joining me today. Riley, how's it going?
1: I'm hanging in there, Kyle. But what really matters is how are you doing? You've had a big sports week for you with the NBA playoffs are here, Ford Madison back. How are you doing?
0: It was weird to say the least. I mean, Ford Madison playing a game of Madison for the first time in 600 days, how they won it in the last second. People were falling over onto the field, beer was flying everywhere. It it felt good to be back. And then I have to turn around the next day and watch the Bucks play the Bulls in the most <laughs> meaningless regular season game ever. It was it was a little bit sombering, but Liverpool scored a last minute goal as well. Um from the goalie of all people. So it was it was a pretty exciting weekend of soccer. Um Every other sport just seemed non important at that point, but it is playoff basketball, so I guess that's, um, yeah, I guess that's how, the, how it is.
1: Yeah, the uh, did not help that it feels like every year there's the doldrums of the end of the regular season, the NBA. But for whatever reason, it felt extra like doldrummy. I don't know if it was the condensed season, the play-in tournament stuff, but like the fact that the Bucks had secured their place and once. Excuse me. They lost the game against San Antonio earlier in the week. It was like, oh, we're probably not going to get the two seed. So then it was like, well, I really don't care about any of these games. So it was not an ideal time to be a Bucks fan if you were trying to like root for regular season basketball.
0: Yeah, it was weird because like the last few years they've had the one seed lock. So it was kind of like we know they had to, this year. They they still had a chance for the two seed even going into the final day. But yeah. I think we all kind of realized after that loss of Spurs, Birds. Then the Nets just kept on winning. It was it was kind of, that was it. But you had a good weekend as well. I see, um, had a good party for Catherine.
1: We did. Yeah. It was, uh, her 27th and everybody in the group was up, No worries. Uh, it was, we haven't been able to really see people because most of our friend group was pretty like, Oh, well, if you're not vaccinated or whatever, you probably shouldn't be hanging out. Everybody was vaccinated. Really nice weather. We had a grill out in our backyard. We have a little fire pit. So it was a good little hangout together. And, uh, I can proudly say I did not watch the Chicago Bulls game or the Miami Heat game because I was like, I'm just not going to have time or the energy to do either of these. This is why partially we're recording today so that I didn't have to go through and fake about the Bulls game slash we can talk about the Heat matchup, which is finally here.
0: Yeah, it was. I did not watch the Heat game because that was the same time as the Ford Master game and priorities. (laughs) Um, And I only watched the Bulls game because I said I would do the rapid recap. But Yeah, the Bucs had a week of games. They lost to the Spurs to start things out. It was a frustrating loss, kind of the typical San Antonio Spurs loss where you just can't defend anything, and San Antonio just keeps on hitting threes over and over. Then they had a lot of whatever they won basketball games against the Orlando Magic, Indiana Pacers, Miami Heat as well. And then going into Sunday, we are recording on Monday. So one of the reasons we were thinking – we should maybe wait is to see how the playoff matchup would go. And the Bucks had a 8 PM game, which was really stupid. But by the time they tipped off, the Brooklyn Nets had beaten the Cleveland Cavaliers. So they had locked in the two seed, which then forced Milwaukee into the three seed. So they had nothing left to play for at that point. It was kind of more wondering who would get the six seed. And after the Knicks had won that morning, it pretty much just left it for Miami. It was I think everyone knew after Milwaukee had won on that Saturday that they're going to face the Heat because that was the one game where if Miami had won, they probably would have gotten a 4-5 or seed and we probably would have taken on the Hawks or Knicks. But, nope, here we are against the Heat. So, Riley, I know you did not give a damn about any of these games. Did you want to throw anything in there? I feel like we should at least give some like maybe in the two minutes. Some, games. Games. Yes,
1: yeah, I, I would agree. Um, so the most interesting one, I think everybody would agree would probably be the one against the Spurs because we had like somewhat realistic expectations. Although if we, I remember everybody leading up to the game was like, if we went out, if we went out three seed, two seed, there was just like a lot of talk. And then we, <laughs> we lost the game. It was like, well, never mind. with all that. I think um, the thing about the Spurs game was you're right that it was typical, like show up uh, in San Antonio I can't remember the last I think the last time we beat San Antonio in San Antonio was Eric Bledsoe's first game as a buck when he got traded from Phoenix. Um, so we have yet to like bring that full circle. But part of the problem was it felt like the Spurs knew exactly what spots they were going to get to. And the Bucks, they went out with like full, you know, full powered lineup. all the starters are out there, everybody played pretty decent minutes. And, and two, to the big threes credit, Giannis, Drew, and Chris, they all played pretty well, at least production-wise. Um, but when the other team, I think they shot like almost 60% from three, it wasn't like a lot of dudes who were shooting threes, but the dudes who were shooting, were shooting enough to make a difference. Um, yeah, let me see. Yeah. 58.6% from three going to be kind of hard. Uh, it's only on 29 attempts, but that's enough to kind of put you behind, especially when you only make 13 on your own and you shoot pretty poorly from three. So uh, concerning only insofar as, okay, there are still teams where if they have a good coach like against the team we're going to play in the playoffs, are they going to be able to really like hammer home? Here are the weak points in their defense. Here's what our personnel can do to um, exploit those. And I think the Spurs went on to lose like the next two games after that. So just kind of weird that they come out, beat the hell out of us, and then totally fall apart in the next two games to push themselves into worse seating position for the playing game. So that was the big one. Otherwise, uh, I I would be curious about your thoughts on the Chicago game just because it was rookie slash Pat Connaughton central. And I know everybody was loving on Jordan Wara. Um, Like since that was the one game that you actually watched, did you have any thoughts from any of the guys coming out of that? Probably the most important would be Jeff Teague and Pat Connaughton because they're going to actually have minutes, but anybody you want to go for.
0: Yeah. I would say Pat Connaughton at least got his, he got buckets. He got his rhythm. I think him being, it was like, he probably should have been the focal point, but at the same time he just he stuck to the same role, which I thought was interesting because despite the lineups that were out there, Jeff Teague, you know, it was good to see him take control. It it felt like when the Bucks needed, when we kept saying the Bucks need another point guard, the Bucks need another point guard after trading DJ Augustine, This is exactly what we kind of were expecting with Jeff Teague. He was pretty much in full man. I mean, he was I forget the second most points on the team behind Jordan Warren. Jordan Warren could get buckets like it is. You can throw him on the court immediately, and I'm not kidding when I say if the Bucs are in an offensive rut where they can't get anything, just throw Wara out there, let him chuck like five shots and see what happens, because at this point, I can't think of a shot that this guy can't make and won't take. Like, if it's a mid-range off the dribble, he'll take it. If it's a catch-and-shoot three, he'll take it. Even if he's trying to drive to the rim and he's Dante DiVincenzo-esque at the rim, he's still going to take it. Like, I feel like They're just going to need, like, if it's that bad, might as well just give him a shot. But otherwise, yeah, it was kind of, I mean, Sam Merrill struggled. But, I mean, Diakite had some good plays. Elijah Bryant, who they had recently brought in on a two-way, I believe. I don't know if it was a two-way or one.
1: It's a full deal. It's a two-year deal. And I think the second year is not guaranteed or something along those lines.
0: Well, that is good because he looked... He looked fine. I was actually kind of impressed. I didn't know what to expect because the last time I saw it was in Summer League, and it's really hard to judge someone off of that. But he looked fine, I think. I would expect Milwaukee to bring him back next year. I think he's got something that's worth looking at. Um, Justin Johnson played as well. He looked okay. Like A lot of those guys looked fine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I feel like th- these are going to be a lot of the players that are going to be on the end of the bench, and I don't know, depending on how bad the injury is. I mean, that could open up another spot for, you know, like the Justin Jackson's for, you know, just to solidify another what like move Elijah Bryant into a full on role, like have him be solidified there and he can get a, you know, it's just kind of like that. But yeah, it was, it was very much a, every time the Bucks looked like they were going to claw back and maybe take the lead, Chicago hit some big shot, which. Talk about a team that cannot decide. They decided to move, make those trades to try and get into the playoff game, and then they couldn't do that. And then they made their draft position worse. <laughs> Good job, <laughs> Chicago. Good
1: job. It's amazing. They should be ashamed of themselves. So we don't even need to talk about them because they're not in the playoffs anymore. But they should be ashamed because they had a lot of veterans out there, and they only beat us. But was it like a six-point game? Was that the? Yeah, it was <laughs> a full score. strength.
0: It was a full strength Bulls team. Mine. I think Levine exactly. Levine was out. Uh, yeah, Levine and Vucic were out, but that's still, otherwise that was still a pretty full-strike team.
1: Yeah. My, my, my one question to you, Jordan Wara, his rookie season, what would you guess in his minutes played his usage rate was, his usage percentage was?
0: I honestly would say it's probably like somewhere in the 30s like I feel like it is very freaking high because there was no there's no passing
1: <laughs> it's not it's not that high but it is 26 percent. so there's okay. not a lot of passing he he turns it over a lot he's got a 14.1 turnover percentage rate and he's got a 3.6 assist percentage so I mean it's it's sticky I mean, you are right I don't remember the last guy maybe like Chris's height when he was kind of getting into it of like guy off the dribble just taking shots and making a lot of shots. I, I think it is impressive. And I would like to look at his game log to see, because it's like when he plays, he gets a lot of miss because all the starters are out. And then he just, he shoots the ball a lot, which is, yep. <laughs> that's a skill. It's a skill that shooting 45% from three in a rookie season, uh, you know, 30 games. I can't believe he played in 30 games. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. Good for you, Jordan Mora. I mean, for second round pick, you can't be too upset about that. No. And and then for Elijah Bryant, so I didn't watch, I watched his highlights. Um, I have no judgment whatsoever because it was literally the last game. He had just showed up like a couple of days before. Um, it seemed a little bit like I'm, he was trying to like, I'll just force some shots because I just showed up here three days ago. But um, it, it's that kind of signing, at least structure wise, where overseas guy or undrafted guy, whoever it is, get him in. End of the season, so you can pay him a little bit now. You'll have his rights. Sign up for like a guaranteed or non guaranteed next season, and that's what you need when you're a contender. Is like just keep building on top of it with guards and things, or like you know younger guys like this. So we'll see if he holds on and keeps the spot. But for a team like us, with as much as we're going to be paying in salaries in the coming seasons, stuff like this in that sort of mold is the kind of move that we have to keep doing. So hopefully it'll work out for us. Yeah,
0: it was definitely it's worth a flyer, kind of like with the Akite there's no harm in doing it. Best case scenario, it is a rotational person in the NBA. Worst case scenario, you find out it's not it and he leaves and it is what it is. But I think that's enough to talk about those games. No, nobody really cared about them. I don't it was so dead in our group chat. That's how we knew these games really didn't matter because uh, we didn't even yeah. have our normal like off-topic discussions. Yeah. But we are going to focus on the playoffs because now that the regular season is over, the Milwaukee Bucks will have a rematch with the Miami Heat. The Bucks will look to avenge their second round exit last year in the bubble. I think the biggest theme of going into it is our, is not wanting how much fear-mongering has happened at least, not even Justin Buck's Twitter, but also in the Brew Hoop comments, in general discussion. It feels as though everyone's kind of in the... The Bucks are absolutely going to redeem themselves and thrash the Miami Heat, or we are completely effed. It feels mm-hmm. like there's been no in-between. It's, a, it's like fear-mongering or way overconfident.
1: If you had to pick which camp... If you had to just choose one camper that are fear-monger or way overconfident, which camp are you in?
0: i probably lean more towards the overconfident because... <laughs>
1: Not and like I tweeted it earlier.
0: Like I think Miami is not a team that you can underestimate or look overlook or treat like it's some kind of scrub. I don't think Miami is as good as last year. I think a lot of the things that went well for them were mostly the Bucks own self demise and with a better roster and especially at a better option at point guard at drew a better shooter off the bench and Bryn. A backup big that can get their own bucket, and Bobby Portis. You know, you see. Hopefully, Bud learned some things in terms of switching, in terms of playing his starter, playing his big, gives guys more minutes. It feels as though Milwaukee has made sure to make whatever changes they needed to not have a repeat of last year, which is why I would say I lean towards the overconfident side because I feel like some people are treating Miami as this boogeyman that can't be beat, and I don't think that's even close to true.
1: Yeah, it's so difficult to evaluate this because your two options are just go back to the last series last year and be like, okay, we got waxed in five games. Or if you try to pull off of the recent history of the three games this season, Jimmy Butler didn't play in any of them. And while that's not necessarily you don't learn anything at all, if he's not out there, the it can't be denied how important of a role, not only that he played in last year's series, but just with them generally, even though he's not a great three-point shooter, everything else that he does, whether it be orchestrating the offense, getting to the free throw line, playing defense, like really good defense, um, all those different things make it so difficult to, all you can do is <laughs> go back and fear based off of last year, because that's when he played. And you can't really look at these three games this year and be like, oh, I feel very confident because he was gone. Um, And so that's why I think people are kind of like there's no actual track record to go off of unless you go all the way back to a year ago.
0: Right. And the other thing that that I do understand from the fear mongering side, um, Spolstra is going to coach living hell out of this series and make Bud look terrible. A pending miracle. I I understand the coaching matchup that Miami has and they have a significant advantage. So I can see Mm -hmm. why the fear mongering side has that in their pocket. That is completely fair because, yeah, I I don't like I'm very nervous to see how Bud is going to try and be a competent coach in the series while Spolster is just going to just run laps around him.
1: Well, so there's no real structure to how we're going to talk about this, which we'll just kind of like range across a whole bunch of different subjects about it, because right now we might record even a podcast next week. We'll see because there's no schedule as of this moment. The NBA, the play in games have to go on first. So we don't even know when the games, presumably probably like a week or so from today it'll begin. But um, if you just kind of start looking through, uh, you know, you could do from their roster, what the rotation looks like to a couple of their stats, I think. If I'm looking through the difference from last year, last year's series to this year, um, at least this year's Heat team. So they lose Jay Crowder. They add a guy like Dwayne Deadman, who was pulled off the scrap heap and is like a passable-ish, I guess, backup big. They have Trevor Ariza who's out there. But otherwise, it, it pretty much runs through Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. And then Duncan Robinson, and Kendrick Nunn, and Tyler Herr are all there for like scoring purposes, pretty much ideally. And then otherwise, it's like, can you survive Goran Dragic not going crazy? And so it feels like they're probably a little bit more two-dimensional now between those two guys. And the upside going into this series is last year we had Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe, uh, as we've discussed ad nauseum, Not a great three-point shooter, mostly a guy who attacked the rim, and uh, the Heat have one of the best rim defenders in the league in Bam Adebayo, especially in switching, um, keeping up with guards, things like that. So even if Eric wasn't losing his mind, probably would have been difficult for him to be as impactful. And right away, the first thing we're going to test here is how big of an upgrade is Drew Holiday? Is he big enough? I don't see anybody. I'm assuming Jimmy Butler is going to get the call guarding him, Um, and Trevor Ariza is going to get the call guarding Chris. I don't know how exactly how they're going to break that down, but the first thing we're going to notice is how big of an upgrade is Drew over what Eric was bringing in the postseason. And this feels like a pretty good team to work that in because, yes, they have good defenders, but the other three starters, depending on how they structure things and play defense, they might not have as many horses to keep up if we're able to have the three big guys from Milwaukee play as well as they should. Yeah, it's definitely
0: going to be interesting because just looking at the 2020 for the season for Miami, they had a 111.2 offense rating, which was 18th in the league. On the other side, they had a 111.2 defensive rating, which was seventh in the league. So pretty good there. They had a 96.6 pace, which is 29. So they're going their style of play is already going to be more playoff basketball than say Milwaukee, who wants to go out and transition. They accept, attempted 36.2 three-point attempts per game, which was 11th, and they made 35.8% of them. I don't really take that much into consideration, but that was 19th. They allow their opponents to take 39.1, which is 29th, so kind of Milwaukee Bucks-esque, and they make it at 36.5 percentage, which is 15th. They have a 0.432 three-point attempt rate, which is seventh, so that's pretty good. And then their free throws is really what's going to make a difference, and I think why. Miami could have an edge there getting to the free throw line. Jimmy Butler is the epitome of it like I said, 0.199 free throw rate, free throw per game rate. And that's eighth in the league. So that I think it's going to be the big difference is the free throw rate, but also both teams allow the other to shoot plenty of threes. I don't know. I I feel like a lot of people are going to say, okay, well, outliers and you know, they can't continue doing this. Well, this is going to be a good test for both teams. Can both, can both of them shoot enough threes to win the game? And I think that was, that was pretty much one of the main differences last year was Miami shooting almost four, like 37% from three, 15%, like 15 made threes a game out of 40 attempts, Milwaukee 10.8 made on 33 attempts for 30, just under 33%. I think that's going to be the difference because you have someone like Bobby Portis You have someone like Brent Forbes, two vastly improved shooters than what Milwaukee had last year. You hope that Pat Conniton and Dante DiVincenzo can make these series. You hope that when Brooke Lopez is out there and maybe if you're not going to go small, he can at least chip in with, you know, two or three threes as well. Chris Middleton making sure that he's getting going. I think it's going to be how Milwaukee's three-point shooters do because if someone like Brent Forbes gets hot for that whole series, Mark is gonna win this with no problem at all. But if Brynn struggles and say one of Dante and Pat struggle, then we're kind of looking at a repeat of last year. When now it's like, okay, now I gotta hope that Duncan Robinson doesn't catch fire, Kendrick Nunn doesn't catch fire, Tyler Harrow doesn't catch fire. Like, you gotta hope that Miami's guards don't do it. Because I think defensively they're going to be more cognizant of Andre Iguodala, Trevor Reason, Dwight Detman, and kind of be aware, but I think that's going to be one of the key factors is that three-point shooting because both teams allow a lot of threes, and there's not going to be outliers in this game. I feel like there's no outlier unless, you know, someone, unless Giannis goes like six of eight from three. No one's going to have an outlier type of game. Like, everyone that shoots well from three is going to, will all point and be like, yeah, that
1: makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the point about the fact that simply that four to like five more three pointers made last in that you referenced in last year's series, that's a 15 point swing on average each game. Um, I know the math doesn't work out like that, but if you work that out, and then if you're talking, like you said, it's already a slow paced team that you're playing against. Add in the playoffs, it's even slower. The number of possessions you're getting is extremely reduced compared to the regular season. And so all it takes is, like you said, a couple of guys. And last year it was like Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson. And I think even Jimmy Butler shot like 45% from three. It wasn't a lot of attempts, but he was also shooting well. So it was just those small little things. They created overtime throughout the series to be like, well, we're okay, but they're making just enough threes to keep it out of reach. And so that's going to be, again, I think you're right that there won't be necessarily outliers; those who are good shooters, you would expect. I can't imagine maybe Jimmy Butler again, but again, even last year he only took like two threes a game, so it wasn't like he was shooting, you know, eight eight threes a game while shooting like really. It wasn't outside of the norm in that regard.
0: Yeah, it's definitely like I said, it's one of those where I don't know what to expect because if Miami struggles from three Milwaukee, wins. if Milwaukee struggles from three, I still believe we can win just because mm-hmm. they still have Giannis. And these, this is the type of series that Giannis has to be the best player. And there's no reason why he's not the best player. There's no reason why Chris and drew aren't even the second or third best player. Like that's, I think that's, what's been the issue for Milwaukee the last few years, you know, even in that Boston series, You know, Giannis was the best player in that Boston series at Milwaukee one in 2019. And you could probably say the second best player was still George Hill. And then you get to the Toronto series and Giannis wasn't the best player. He might not even been the second best player. Like that is kind of like that issue. And then when he gets to the Miami series last year, Jimmy Butler was easily the best player in that series. I don't know if Giannis, I, I don't know who you would call the second best player, but I don't think it was a Milwaukee buck. And that's going to be the issue while not this year. If Giannis has truly figured out this wall, if at the very least, he has slowed his game down. So we've seen him bulldoze less and less this year, which part of that could just be he doesn't want to put himself at risk. Part of that could just be teams are doing a little bit better defensively. But I think if he's really made that improvement, that's going to be a huge difference. And I don't know. I feel confident that he will get that is just will his teammates reward him.
1: Yeah, so two things were structured better this year it feels like to survive a rock fight uh simply because Drew is out there um and a little I'm not super nervous I, I'd be curious how you feel about Drew going into this. We we have the previous series against Portland where he played really really well and then I think they ran up against Golden State and I think they got out in the second series after that. So we don't have a ton of experience with Drew in the playoffs. The limited sample size we have is really good, but we don't have a lot um, but if regular season Drew Holiday carries over a little bit, feels like we're a little bit better equipped where, like you were saying, if Giannis, he doesn't have to do all the scoring. It'd be great if he did, but with a guy like Bam Adebayo, that's going to be hard to do, especially if he's going to be a primary defender, or at least keeping an eye on him a lot, given how quickly he can cover the floor. So even if Bam makes um, Giannis's life difficult enough to try and do like isolation offense, that doesn't have to be what Giannis does. That's what everybody else is around there for. And if he can calmly pick out the other guys, because I don't know, I'm just like looking at the Heat starting five. So for references sake, the Heat starting five generally is Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, and Trevor Ariza. If they go with those guys again, I'm like, curious, do you remember from last year's series who got the call for the most part to guard Giannis for Miami? I
0: feel like it was a rotation of Bam and Jimmy. Yeah. And a little so bit they, of Jay. I feel like it was like a 3 man rotation of Jay Crowder, Bam, and Jimmy.
1: So they might end up trying to do that again between Bam, Jimmy, and Trevor Ariza. Now, I don't, Trevor Ariza is a little lighter in the pants compared to Jay Crowder, and he's also near the end of his career, so how helpful that'll be. But... Um, Let's say it's like something of a facsimile of last year. The key is last year was like I think Giannis felt a lot of the expectations of I'm the two time MVP, I'm the Defensive Player of the Year. I have to like really stand it. We fell short the year before. I have to take put the team on my back. We're struggling, and that is not conducive to Giannis playing well. Giannis gets into a rhythm naturally, and then he starts playing well. And then it's like, well, now you can't stop and just keep feeding the guy. Whereas here, if he goes into each game, especially early in the series and plays controlled, plays it slow, doesn't have to rush anything, If obviously if there are opportunities, go for it, but try and get the other guys involved. That's what they're all there for. And I think he's more, like you said, collected to be able to do that this year. And he won't have as much pressure because his lead point guard won't have literally disappeared like spiritually while still being on the court. You know. So I think that should help him get him into the right mindset, at least, whether or not that puts him in a position to be the best player in the series. We're going to have to see.
0: Yeah. And I think with Drew, it's going to be not only offensively, he's, it helps Milwaukee be more equipped for a rock fight, but defensively he can go and guard Jimmy when he needs to. He, he can just say, I'm going to take Jimmy. And that just frees up. Giannis honest to Romero more that frees up Chris, where he doesn't have to feel it as like do as much, you know, Dante's a little bit of gamble, but maybe you can gamble on someone like Kendrick Nunn. I hope, uh Dante's on Duncan Robinson but he might have to be like that there is definitely a concern but with Drew there it kind of feels like you get the offensive confidence that you want going in to replace Eric Bledsoe and you still have the defensive confidence that he can pick up Jimmy and still do the job that he needs to and I think that's going to be huge and another player that I we haven't talked about but he this was kind of the okay that we need to see more of this is Chris Middleton. What we saw in game four and what he tried doing in game five, like that needs to be Chris Middleton, the whole series. He needs to be the guy to take the shots. He's got to be the guy that he's got to be ready to take the shots and be willing to take control on offense. Cause if Giannis is, you know, guarded by Bam to bio and maybe struggling, maybe he draws a few fouls, whatever. Drew's going to do what he needs to, but it's not really the bucks. didn't get drew to help out Giannis. I think the I feel like sometimes the pucks got drew so that it just lets Chris Middleton do what he needs to do instead of trying to also be another playmaking facilitator type of guy that Eric couldn't have been.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the series for Chris last year, so uh, he did plenty of scoring. There was like one game where I think he scored 16, but he averaged 25 points in that series. He only shot 33 from three, so not ideal there, but. Uh, like you said, the, uh, 3.4 turnovers a game on average, not great, not ideal, but that's not the role that he's supposed to play in. But again, and I'm trying to pull up again, I'm so sorry, Eric, you're, you seem like a good guy, Eric, but I'm trying to pull <laughs> up his stats right now. But a- again, like you said, Giannis is not an ideal playmaker, uh, just be, you know, he's pretty good given his size, but he's probably not like the creator guy in a traditional sense. And so it's like, okay, so you have Giannis, he's not going to work out, uh, I forgot Eric didn't play in game one of the last year's series. Um, he averaged 34 minutes, 11 points, uh, five assists, 2.5 turnovers. So, like, okay, it was okay for Eric, but not great. And so I'm sure Chris felt pressure to be like, oh, I have to play make a little bit. I have to. It seemed like he was doing too much. And like I said, if you can isolate it down to just scoring – just shoot the ball a lot, and he seemed to not have an issue with shooting the ball last year. Out of that one game where I think he might have even got enough enough attempts up, yeah, he got fifteen attempts up, but just didn't make much of it. Right. Um, if he's just getting the attempts up, that that's what matters most. Let Drew do the creating. I hope, and I hope Drew is ready to do a lot of on-ball stuff because I think we'll be dead in the water if it's a lot of Chris and Giannis ball to start. Drew's out there; it doesn't have to be everything, but you, we have to be willing to go to him as the point guard. Even though that's not his ideal position, he's got to be ready for that position, to, that like role to be thrust upon him.
0: He at least needs to initiate the offense. He doesn't have to have the ball in his hands every time and make the plays and make the pass. He has to be the one to bring it up the court and get things started. Like That has to fall on him. It can't go to Dante. It can't go to Chris. It can't go to Jan. It can't go to any of those guys. It has to be Drew. Or if Jeff Teague's on the court as well as Drew, then fine give it to jeff teague instead but yeah. yeah it's going to require drew being the one to initiate the offense and get things started he doesn't have to have the ball in his hand all the time but he's definitely got to start because i don't want unless you get the ball to Giannis in the low post that quickly and then or high post if miami decides to play zone that's fine if Giannis has it there but if Giannis has it at the top of the key then no drew get the ball and get things going
1: all right, here's my question for you. We'll start getting into the rest of the roster outside of the big three. Who is your candidate for Dark Horse? Like, oh, he showed up for the playoffs guy for the Bucks. So outside of the big three, who's like, who are you looking for? Who are you betting is going to step up or at least hoping steps up to have like a big series for the Bucks? Oh, this is going to backfire, but I'm saying Dante. I <laughs> know. I have. Don't do I, that.
0: No. I, I got to. Here. <laughs> Here is my logical explanation. I think Dante has been in a slump, and if there was a better time to get out of it, it would be now. I also think there's going... I think the things that make Dante good, his offensive rebounding, his willingness to gamble on defense, his willingness to shoot the ball, I think those are going to be things that actually benefit Milwaukee in this series because he's... What we didn't see last year when it came to walking starting line, it felt it was very one-dimensional. And, you know, you had Giannis trying to do everything, Chris taking a few shots, Eric kind of being a mess, and then Wes Matthews and Brooke Lopez kind of waiting to get the ball so they could bomb a three. But that was it. There was no variety. There's no, okay, let's try something. At least with Dante, you're going to get drives to the rim. They might not end well, but he's going to try it. He's still going to cut off the ball. He's still, like, a lot of the things, the doing stuff, that Dante has been known for, I think could actually work out well for Milwaukee in the series offensively and defensively. He's still going to take those gambles, but that might be a little bit more okay because I feel like if Miami decides we're going to have this be a Jimmy and Bam heavily focused offense, then maybe you can jump those passing lanes to try and get the steals or at least get deflection. Now Dante cannot be helping if Giannis or Drew is guarding, you know, whoever has the ball, like do not help. Mm-hmm. But I think he's going to be the guy that it, it's not going to be, and I'm not expecting Dante to be like a 15 point game score or something. I think if Dante can chip in, you know, around 10 points, hit a few threes, don't overhelp on defense. Just doing those three things alone is going to be huge. And I think that's going to be the X factor because Milwaukee didn't have that from their two guard last year. And I think the things that Dante does that make him, at least worth playing, they got to turn around, right? Like he cannot be continuing this slump of his.
1: That's a really risky bet of yours. I'm I'm sure I can feel in my soul and my brainstem, Adam fist pumping from whatever beautiful (laughs) beach he's on right now. So Adam, that one's for you, Dante, for the dark horse candidate. I think mine would probably be... I'm going to put, say, P.J. Tucker, uh, not from, like, a production standpoint. I don't expect him to do, <laughs> like you said, with Dante. I'm not expecting, like, 10 points, 15 points from P.J. Tucker at all. But I think part of the key to defending Miami is going to be, like you said, okay, you keep you hold down uh, Jimmy and you hold down Bam. To do that, that's going to be a lot of focus on those two guys, and they have three good shooters around them. How do you keep the the lid on those guys? And so the idea is, okay – We're very into switching offenses. You have a guy like PJ Tucker. We don't play, we didn't play like a ton of minutes of him and Giannis together as like the two big lineup. But if we go back to that, how switching heavy can we get and how effective can we be using those two guys to do our best to like with them and Drew contain those two guys and still be able to switch enough so that, you know, if Jimmy does, uh, you know, a pick and roll or something and we don't lose somebody, or if he does like a ball screen or something. And how are we going to keep on top of the shooters who are moving off of these screens? And the best way to do that is to usually switch or to have a flute defense like that. And PJ Tucker is the guy when I'm looking at the rest of the roster, who is the best equipped to step in and unlock that. And so we're going to put to the test. Can we do the switching? Not only with Drew, but we sent 30, Future first round picks for PJ Tucker is PJ Tucker going to be able to switch and unlock a smaller lineup that really helps us keep their shooters down without losing a lot of uh, stature in terms of stopping Jimmy Butler and um, Bam Adebayo? So I would say PJ Tucker dark horse thing is a good opportunity. The Heat are not a super deep team. Um, so it's not you don't have to like match man for man. You can have a little bit of leeway to play with PJ Tucker in some lineups. So I'm hoping that he it pays off, especially in this series. We'll see in the future. Um, but if we can get through this and he can kind of step up, I think that would be a great thing.
0: Yep, I agree. One person that I was thinking of, but I don't know if they're going to play a lot, is Bobby Portis. Mm-hmm. I just don't know on the offensive on the offset uh, offensive side. Mm-hmm. This could be the series that Milwaukee will need him, someone to come off the bench be a spark plug, get buckets that he needs to, and still provide somewhat of a mismatch for Miami. But defensively, that's where I'm afraid of when Eric, that's where the Eric bolster as a really good coach is going to terrify me because he is going to target Bobby and then decide we're going after him. And you're going to force Giannis if he's mm-hmm. on the court with Giannis, force Giannis to play outside defender, maybe draw a foul. If, yep. you know, Brooke Lopez, for some godforsaken reason, Bobby and Brooke are on the same court, force Brooke to – hand like, those two need to figure out how to switch, good luck to them. If it is P.J. Mm-hmm. Tucker, let's see how good P.J. Tucker still is. Like, that. that's why I wasn't sure of saying Bobby Ports just because I don't know how much of the series he's going to realistically play. Yeah. But I also don't know how deep Bud's going to go with his rotation either.
1: I was going to say, so I'm looking at the roster right now, and I was going to – so – In addition to the five stars, I said for the Heat, I I was just kind of like looking through their minutes allocation. So the other, they generally play a nine-man rotation. I think it would be uh, fair to expect them to go with that. So besides the stars for the Heat, the other four guys they play a lot of are Tyler Harrow, Goran Dragic, uh, Andre Iguodala, and Dwayne Dedman to varying extents. Some a little bit more, some a little bit less, depending on the matchups. If I was to try and think of who's going to be my nine-man rotation to go the other way, one, I'm scared like hell of, Bud being like really tight and on top of his rotations. He'll do it every once in a great while, but otherwise it seems like a lot of, ah, we'll figure it out, so, which is, you know, it's a good season, is fine, but I'm scared of that. But if I was to do Milwaukee's five starters and go through the rest of the roster to pick who would fill that out, so PJ Tucker for sure. Uh, Bryn Forbes probably. You have to play, you have to at least give Bryn a shot. You have Pat, to. Pat Connaughton. And then. Bobby, I guess? Are those my four guys coming off the bench?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I think if it wasn't the heat and you had that goring, dragage threat of someone I can yeah. roast you off the dribble, then I would I would put Jeff Teague and give Pat to the break. But, yeah, I think that's got to be it. I, I think you go with Bryn, you go with PJ Tucker, you go with Pat, and you go with Bobby. Now, maybe... You only give Bobby and PJ Tucker like 10 minutes each and see what happens. But yeah, I just I don't feel good like trying to throw Jeff Teague out there in this series.
1: Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting with Brandon Bobby because the whole like spark plug thing that you're saying about Bobby, that's the same situation with Bryn. It's not that both of those guys don't try on defense. I think a lot of like, and even I'm I'm super prone to it as well. When somebody's like, "Oh, this guy's a bad defender," it's like, "Oh, well, he doesn't like give a shit on defense." It's not so much that with those guys. It's either physical limitations or like, you know, the efforts there, but maybe positioning isn't there necessarily. They both try on defense, but they're not great defenders, and I would be scared against a coach like Spolstra of them getting exploited. But the return on investment, if you put them out there for five minutes and they go crazy, because with Bryn, that's totally possible. He's been shooting like crazy all season long. With Bobby, again, that's another thing. There's a reason why people want to like have a Bobby for six-man-of-the-year ca- like campaign going on. He's been deserving of it. He's played really well as well. So it's just the trick is going to be can Budenholzer find the right balance for those guys within that rotation of like, This is like against the Raptor series. Okay, we'll put this guy out there and see, does it work for a couple minutes? If not, you're not going to play the rest of the game. Is that how he's going to approach this? And if it is, does it work out for us? Does it not work out for us? Because if it comes out, he puts Bryn out there for five minutes or Bobby out there for five minutes and it doesn't work in that five minutes. Does then that push Boonholzer off of like, okay, we're just not going to play you at all. Um, And that's really the question. And that kind of ties back into the coaching mismatch as well. It's like, I don't know. It feels like it's still a pretty big difference in those two, so I'm not sure how to really quantify that.
0: I think with Bobby, that's going to be the case where, okay, if you don't have it, we're just going to have PJ and Brooke and Giannis kind of rotate between the five. Bryn, I think Bryn is too good of a shooter to leave. You can't leave him on the bench, even yeah. if he if is struggling. Like Unless you get to Miritich's level of bad, you got to <laughs> keep going with it And because yeah. your older alternative is – Pat Connaughton,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Sam Merrill, Jordan. Like, are you really going to trust Sam Merrill, Jordan Wara, Pat Connaughton, heavier minutes? I know Bud will with Pat, but that's kind of what you're looking at if you don't put Brent out there or you're putting more minutes on Dante. I don't, again, as much as I think Dante is going to be the dark horse X factor, I don't want Dante to be getting up to that 35, plus, like, like 40 minute area. Like, that probably is not what. Is going to make Dante the most effective. I think having Dante in the 30 to 35, but then you have Bryn pick up, you know, the next 15. Bryn and Pat combined, like, take the next 15. But I I think, yeah, if Bobby doesn't get it going, he's not going to play much. But if Bryn doesn't get it going, you still got to ride. You still got to go with it.
1: You know, it'd be really cool. It'd be really cool if Brooke Lopez made some threes. If Brooke Lopez had like a decent series that you know how much easier that would make life if he made a couple of threes like oh okay we have to defend this guy sort of
0: it would be great if Brook, even if Brooke Lopez doesn't hit threes it would just be good if he just went to old school Brook Lopez and just dominated everyone on post moves and scored in the post like automatic and then still defensively did enough that would be fine as well if he if Brent if Brooke could just be something on offense I think that alleviates a lot of the concerns.
1: I think it would as well. So, I, when I got a couple more questions. So, like, how concerned are you about Budenholzer? So, we've had a whole. This is his third season here. He got pantsed. He got really pantsed, uh <laughs> against the Raptors. He got really pantsed against the Heat. How are you feeling about Mike Budenholzer? The way that he's adjusted this season. We did switching. We're doing switching. We've done zone. We're doing the. There are more minutes for the starters, not as much as like some other teams who really run them out there, a la the Heat. But guys are playing more minutes. How do you feel about Mike Budenholzer going into this series?
0: I'd put it at a five point five out of ten, which is an improvement. Slight, yeah, slightly above (laughs) average. It's literally
1: right above average.
0: I think Budenholzer willing to try things out in the regular season with switching and. It feels as though he's going to play at the very least drew Giannis and Chris at least 40 minutes. Every time he's going to play them a lot. I feel that's what makes me feel a little bit better. Now there's going to be things that, you know, his rotation. I don't know how that's going to go. His decision of when to go with zone or go zone at all. I don't know if the heat go to zone and boon holes are able to say, okay, this is what we need. This is what you need to do. Like Giannis go to the high post Dante do this. Chris do like, I don't feel great there. But at the very least, I had said all last, like all the offseason last year and the beginning of the season this year, I want Holzer to try and at least try something different. And he has shown that he is going to try something different. Hopefully that carries over and hopefully it works. But yeah, I would say a 5.5 out of 10 is, yeah, I, he's still not going to be. I, I feel like if the Bucs win, it's going to be because they're just simply a better team, not because Holzer had a coaching masterclass.
1: Yeah. I think the biggest thing that annoys people with Budenholzer is because he, because he doesn't change. Cause he doesn't do like really like severe in generally like noticeable, severe in game corrections or changes. It's like, if we're getting drilled in the first half, it's like, we're just going to get drilled the entire game, but there's not much we're going to like try to do about that. Um, I'm not sure if we've changed those stripes necessarily for Budenholzer. Um, there were signs that were promising, but I think, um, Anybody who goes into this series and says, I'm still nervous or I'm not sure the Bucks will pass simply because the change, the difference in quality between the coaching staffs, the head coaches especially, I can't blame you. You know, I'm yeah. not I like to believe that Hoser is spending as much time as Spolstra is in trying to come up with a game plan that's going to work out for the Bucs. They have time now to do that. Um but at the end of the day, whether or not they're able to execute it. That still feels like an open question. We have, the personnel feels like, we have enough like boom-bust potential, or like guys who could boom, they could be bust as well, but enough guys where if he's able to get the ingredient mix right, and the ingredient mix is going to be a lot of Chris Middleton minutes, a lot of Giannis minutes, a lot of Drew minutes. Those guys are going to have to have a lot of minutes, and then everybody else is just going to have to move the chess pieces around them. I feel like that's a slightly easier task for Boonholzer to tackle rather than I'm still in the mindset of we have to save ourselves to try and let the system work and save ourselves for the finals. And who knows, maybe we've gotten to the finals and you still would have done that where you know, We played, but maybe that was his mindset and maybe that's different this year. It's like, we're pretty rested. We're coming into this as healthy as we could hope to be. Now we have to put on the minutes. We have a month sprint here. We have to put on the minutes as much as we can to win all these games. I'm just not sure if he's going to do that. And so 5.5 probably feels about right that's going to be a roller coaster game for if we might come out and totally smack him in game one everyone's like mike Boonholzer's a genius <laughs> or we could get totally pants and be like i can't wait for mike Boonholzer to get fired because it's four it's three games away now at this point so it's going to be a roller coaster with the, that guy for sure
0: do you think boone gets fired if milwaukee loses in the first round oh,
1: oh my god yes it has to be I was actually going to ask you. I was like, if it's, I was like, okay, let's say it's seven games, really hard fought. We see some good things from Milwaukee. Is that enough to save Bud's job? I don't think it would no. be. I think he he'd be canned. He had. To I
0: I no. If he loses in round one, he's got to go. I I think the tough part is how far does Milwaukee have to go in order to think okay, are saved. But yeah, if they if they lose in round one, no, he's got to go you he's got to go you probably should just trade one of chris or brooke like you got to get rid of one of those two because this is like as this is almost the this is not going to work this core is not going to work this group is not Mm -hmm. going to work and Mm you you keep Giannis and you keep drew and you figure it out from everyone else everyone else Mm -hmm. a chopping block you're you're free to go figure it like you got to go yeah yeah you can't if if Milwaukee loses in this first round, the next day should better like the next day. I expect
1: a Shams tweet to say Milwaukee's party was with Mike Bootholzer. I'm ho- I'm hoping if it comes to that sort of like dark situation, I'm hoping Shams actually tweets it like like the uh, <laughs> um, get the what was his name last year? Uh, why am I might not remember our buyout guy from last year. Oh, Marvin Williams. Marv, Marv Williams. I'm hoping it's a Marvin Williams like <laughs> halftime tweet, like, but it's not going to be with the team. He's playing, he's this the team's lost. There's just there's no saving his job at this point. And I'm hoping that happens at half. Um, okay, so we we'll talk more probably. I don't know if we'll record a podcast next week, but we'll have a little bit more research because we kind of slap this together. If you were to predict the game, the series right now, seven game series, I'm we'll start, it's two two, one, 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 start at Milwaukee. How do you think? Who who wins the series and how many games?
0: I think what Milwaukee did this offseason with getting Drew, with getting Bobby, with getting Bryn, with trading for PJ Tucker midway through the season, realizing that DJ Augustine isn't going to work. And with the attempts at switching, Milwaukee made the adjustment so that they don't have another situation like they did last year in the bubble. I think with playing games in milwaukee as much as people say well it's the bubble and blah 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 i i do think playing in milwaukee is going to make a difference for the bucks i i don't think it's going to be you know complete home court advantage but I, i i think it's going to make a difference it's going to make enough of a difference i will say milwaukee wins in six um miami is going to have one game where Defensively, they're going to put the clamps and Milwaukee's going to struggle and everyone's just gonna have it off game. And there'll probably be another game just on the fact of we saw last year, out of the five games, Milwaukee barely won game four. They nearly but they you they could have won games two and three if things had just gone differently. So it's not like they were significantly worse, but I'll say Bucks win in six. Because the talent is better than last year's team. Yeah.
1: the feels about right. Uh, I don't feel super strongly like I'm super positive about the Bucs or super down in the Bucks either. I think that's about right for a 3C. I think they'll win it in five games. I think it's going to be a lot like the Celtics series of two seasons ago, where it's like we come out and we get absolutely hammered in game one. It's like, oh my God, our season's over. And you got Paul Pierce on ESPN going to see. <laughs> They lost the series. Paul Pierce isn't on ESPN. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's not. No, It's not going to be Chris Webber doing it either. Uh, Shout out to you, Chris. You're an awesome grifter. But I think the first game um, it's going to frustrate the hell out of people. I think we'll lose that one. And then based on whether it be adjustments, the talent difference, whatever it is, we'll figure it out and slowly put it together over the coming four games after that. Um, So I think it's going to be like a Celtics redux, which is going to be awful for everybody's heartburn. And that time difference between game one and game two going to be some of the darkest timeline stuff you've ever seen, but once you get past that, I'm hopeful that they'll be able to keep up. So I'm saying Bucks in five. They'll lose in the first one, then they'll get the next four games. Fingers crossed.
0: I, you know, I hope it's a five. I hope it's a sweep. I hope the I just hope the Bucks win because me too. If they lose this series, I am gonna mute any. I'm gonna mute every mm-hmm. single Bucks person I follow. For at least two months. Like, I will have to just not. I need to timeline cleanse. I won't block (laughs) anyone. I'm just going to mute every single one of you.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's about right.
0: But we'll take a quick ad break. And then when we get back, we will jump into some quick miscellaneous topics. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. And we are back. All right. So I have a few rapid fire questions. they are not going to be that many. Uh, I wanted to save the good ones for when Adam returns. But the first thing I wanted to ask Riley is, what is the first thing you do when you get home from work? So you you get off the train or bus. You walk into your apartment. Obviously, Ali jumps up on your leg. But what do you do first thing?
1: First thing I do, this is a strange thing. I think I picked it up for my mother because she did this for the longest time. I would get out a bowl of salsa and I'd get some tortilla chips and I would eat some tortilla chips and salsa. I don't know why. Usually it's because I eat an early lunch and I'm already hungry, but I know we're going to go walk the dog and I still have to cook dinner. So I'll get out a whole bunch of tortilla chips, eat some salsa and tortilla chips. That's the first thing I do when I get home. That sounds fantastic, actually.
0: <laughs> I don't. <laughs> i have like a habit i think when i lived by myself i would just like immediately just change out of clothes and just wear like shorts and just like uh-huh. wear sweats yeah. or something yeah but since being with emma I, I don't know and now that sterling i don't know what i do now but getting well it's bold. different
1: for you because you don't have so i still have the i commute back and forth from work that hasn't changed at all for me so that would be different as well for the work from home crowd because if you're still at home there's nothing – I mean, you just – you close your laptop. You're like, okay, I guess you go start living.
0: Yeah, like right now when I'm done, I just go upstairs and just sit on the couch and then scroll <laughs> on until Emma and Sterling – like Emma picks up Sterling from daycare. Then it's like, okay, I hang out with Sterling. But like once they go back to the office, I don't know what the first thing I'm going to do. Like am I just uh, going yeah. to immediately hide for five seconds so I can mentally prepare myself?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It'll be interesting. But the next question I had is um, in college, what was – where was your go to spot in terms of if you needed to i think not necessarily study but just like what was your favorite spot on the minnesota
1: campus that's a really good question so studying i would just do it at like my own apartment. i did not i never got into like going to the library just cuz there was a lot of people in like the utter silence in some of the places that they've imposed too much for me if I had to choose one place where I would go hang out, though, it would be Falwell Hall, which is the um, foreign languages building on campus. It's a really cool old building, um, and I was really involved in the German department. I think they have an excellent German, Scandinavian, and Dutch department. They have a lot of like different activities. The professors are great. So I would go there for like German coffee hours. I obviously had like multiple lectures and classes there. Um, I like just like hearing all the other languages and the other clubs and things. So I would go to fall. Will hall would be my go-to uh, designated hangout spot. If I could pick one.
0: That is a good one. Yeah. I can't really think of one for Eau Claire. It will probably would be the cabin, which was like a coffee place on campus. And when they build the, when the original student center was there, there was also like acoustic music that like a live band or acoustic performance that would be performed. That was really cool. And then in the new one, it was kind of, it, they tried playing the music It wasn't the same, but I would say that's probably, it's just a nice little, it's just, like, tucked in the corner. Yeah. I think that was probably the best one, but... N- not the pickle? No, not the pickle, you know? <laughs> it was funny, I was talking to someone on the weekend, like, oh, like, you went to Eau Claire, like, did you, like, how was the pickle
1: for you? I was like, I hated every <laughs> moment I was there, like... I don't I love I love that it's a unifying thing though for everybody who went to Eau Claire. Literally I find out somebody went to Eau Claire, I'm like, oh, the pickle. That's the first thing I ask every single time I find out they went to
0: Eau Claire. That's really the that is the first question you ask someone that goes to Eau Claire is, okay, like what are your thoughts on the pickle? And everyone's answer should be I look back and hate myself every single day. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no reason that bar although i did see they were giving out like free beer free shots if you got your COVID vax. so like good on them good job pickle nearly going to jail for tax fraud (laughs) made you turn a corner (laughs) but the last question i had is was there a particular like lunch item at school in elementary or middle school that was like when you found out they were serving it that day i was like yes i gotta get
1: it Oh man, that's another good question. I wish Adam was here for. We'll have to redo these with Adam next year because these are good questions. <laughs> we'll we'll um, ask him these, and then we'll have other questions for him. <laughs> I would say, for me, it was the nachos at high school. So I would say high school. They didn't have this when I was in elementary and middle school, but the nachos we got up there. I, I would now want to know what the ingredients were whatsoever. Not for any of the meals that they served at for any of the school lunches, but the nachos that they had with then they, they all had like little cups of jalapenos. I was like, oh, hand that over to you. I loved nacho day, I was big in the nacho day. That is a good one.
0: I for me, every Wednesday in high school, they had like we called it big cookie day because they gave me <laughs> like something similar. Yeah, they gave you this like chocolate chip cookie, but it was just like large and you knew it was good when it was just so greasy that, like, the film paper that it was on, it was just, like, soaked in, like, <laughs> grease. That's when you knew you got a damn good cookie and something, like, that's when it was going to be the softest, the chewiest. Otherwise, it was, like, it was still awesome because it was still a big-ass cookie that you got.
1: You know what I was always confused by? So, like, they would have, like, just base desserts wherever, whatever, be like, okay, like a chocolate chip cookie. Not to the same extent, but they'd be like, oh, we'd have this out. From week to week and day to day, the quality in the cookies would vary so wildly. Some yep. days I'd, get, I'd be like, "I'd be like, this is a pretty good cookie," and some days I'd be like, "I want to vomit right now eating this cookie." And it was like, "Is it not all the same ingredients, and same equipment?" That's why I felt
0: with the ice cream. I was like, "This should it be like it's the same prepackaged crap. Like, <laughs> why, why is the ice cream so much different? <laughs> it's vanilla ice cream. Like, it should not be this complicated." <laughs>
1: Oh, that's yeah, good. In elementary right.
0: school. I was. I always brought like a lunch. I got like a bag lunch that I brought in for elementary school. So I never yeah. had. Yeah, that was. Except for yeah, no. I was always. I brought it in because you were a right, cold lunch kid. Cold I lunch was kid. A cold lunch kid.
1: Yeah.
0: In elementary school, because my parents didn't trust the food.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, no. Should they have? They were doing you right with that.
0: <laughs> they They were not fans of sedexo. <laughs> But, yeah, that's the rapid-fire questions, and then I guess I'll jump into the film review. Um, So what I've learned as I've become more of a parent is sometimes your kid, especially when they're a 17-month-old, they babble a lot and make a lot of noise, and you can't understand what the hell they're saying. So you just need to put something on the background that has some coherent language that you understand. So for us, we played the parent trap. With Lindsay Lohan from the '90s, back in Disney, and boy, does that movie—I—I I have a lot of questions with that movie. First off, how the hell are you going to have two parents split and they take one kid each? That like, no, you probably—it mm-hmm. should have been one or the other
1: the well, legal system know. was asleep at the wheel the on that one for sure <laughs> the
0: legal system definitely i have questions for like why is it that one parent was one and one kid was and like i guess it was like oh so they didn't see each other like well that's really stupid because like wouldn't you want to see the other kid uh-huh yeah especially it's like it feels like they knew they had the twins like it's not like mm-hmm. a, they knew this and then they'll follow up i was like these are bad parents these are just not good parents at all like they're like they allow the kids to harass and bully one of the other significant others, they're just like plotting and like causing all this chaos. Like this is just bad parenting. And you know Mm -hmm. how they even ended up together in the first place, you know, they're on a cruise or something that is, there's a lot of bad (laughs) decision-making. And also I felt like the movie should have ended like 30 minutes sooner than it did. Like I felt like once the parents like had their like date on the boat, that it should have ended there and was like no they still had to go on the camping trip and then they still had to like break up the other one and then they still had to like allow the other to leave and fly out to london to like make this dramatic entry it was like you could have mm-hmm. just done this like 30 minutes ago <laughs> you didn't need to add all this yeah not good is definitely you know for the cast that's there you know you have lindsey lohan playing both characters you have dennis quaid who was at his peak like <laughs> this is your peak disney dad like dennis quaid was that dude this should have been better. I, I give it a yeah. three out of 10.
1: Wow. Now, where you now? It's been a long time since I've seen it. I've only seen it in like bits and pieces on TV. I agree that it felt like a really long movie. Even those bits and pieces like, oh, my God, we're we still going. No, it, it's uh, definitely like a why has this not ended yet? <laughs> Were you still impressed? Did the Lindsay Lohan playing both characters, did that still hold up? Because I don't remember. I remember people like, oh, they like recorded her. They shot her like twice or whatever. Did that aspect of the movie hold up? Okay.
0: It is still impressive that they were able to have Lindsay Lohan do two different characters. One of them having an accent as well. Uh-huh. And then being able to like put it all together on film so that they are still both side by side. Like especially for the 90s. Like that's pretty, like mm-hmm. this was. A movie now, like I would be like, okay, that's relatively easy to do. Yeah, but in the '90s, that's kind of impressive. I'll give him props yeah. for that. It was okay, and for how young Lindsay Lohan was at this, like that is also very talented and very good job of her for how young she was. I think she was she had to have been like ten at this point. Like it, she was still a child.
1: I'm looking through here. Do you was there a parent trap too? Does that sound about right? Oh God, there shouldn't have been. I'm
0: looking right now. There shouldn't be.
1: <laughs> no, no, there wasn't. There wasn't. You know what? And that's good for them because I'm sure it made like for Disney, like oh my God. It made a hundred million dollars off a budget of budget of 15 million. Respect to Disney for not falling into that and making another one. It did just the right amount with just the one movie.
0: Yeah, they they knew they could not do a sequel that would end up doing well. Like you can't do this. Don't try and make it work. no yeah for Lindsay lohan's debut film she was 12 like 11 or 12 when this happened so impressive
1: dennis quaid shout out to you dennis quaid i know you're listening you're a good guy (laughs) like i
0: said peak disney dad at that point he was he Uh was disney (laughs) uh all right that is enough of the parent
1: trust that we will never talk about again so film review (laughs) uh i have a pen review pen ink review this week We'll see the usual reveal i can actually eh, you're not gonna be able to see it all that well here so it's robert oster crocodile green i'm realizing now belatedly that what you guys see on the screen you being you and adam it's not really great quality but this it's like uh i wouldn't say emerald what's the other word i'm looking for like almost like a sage um like a dry like a yellow green almost um my main complaint it's a very dry ink. You have to like really give her to get any ink to get going. Part of that might be, I'm not using it all that often, but, um, I like the color. It's just kind of a pain. It's a little too light to be able to do, especially on cream paper. Like I have to do consistent writing and be able to see what the hell you're writing. And so maybe if it was on white paper or something, it would look a little bit better. Like the color, not so much on like how it runs. It looks cool in my, uh, in my sailor pen. So that's cool as well. But, uh, a couple, a couple of inks here from Robert Oster. Robert, I know you're listening. Not that I dislike them. They're just not for me. That's all. And I like greens. This green, I like the color. Probably just functionally not the one for me. So Robert Oster, Crocodile Green this week.
0: All right. Well, I think that's all we got. Um, thanks for listening. Make sure to check us out on brewhoop.com whenever these games start. You can follow us on Twitter. You can go to our website, brewhoop.com, to make sure to check in on the game chat. You know, talk to some cool people. Uh, Otherwise, make sure to rate, subscribe, and share this with your friends, and we will talk to you soon.